Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Feminism, 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 feminism ruins everything. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are a feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. We will ruin them to infinity and beyond. Oh, that was good. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Today we are recording on stolen Ghana land, and we'd like to acknowledge Ghana elders past, present, and emerging, and recognise that sovereignty of this land was never ceded. Today we are taking a trip back to our childhood mm-hmm. with a very, a very like formulative yeah. couple of movies. Uh, we're going to be discussing Toy Story one and two. We'll definitely jump into Toy Stories 3 and 4 at a later date, but like, there's a whole other episode in that. Yeah. So today we're just going to be looking at 1 and 2, because there's... Uh, the OGs. The OGs, indeed. Yeah. The cool thing is that not only were these movies very formative for us uh, in our childhoods, but also for a lot of 90s kids, these movies were like a turning point for modern animation, because mm. Toy Story 1 was the first ever computer-generated feature-length animated film. Yeah, like Pixar like invented a bunch of technology that kind of became commonplace and expanded upon uh, to make this film. Like mm. this laid the groundwork for everything that came after it. Mm. And I was reading some trivia because I did a deep dive into the IMDb trivia things <laughs> because that's like one of my favorite hobbies. And I read that there were a couple of things that they hadn't worked out how to do yet with CGI. Um, and one of them was hair. Oh, and yeah. so that's why all of the human characters have really short hair. Or like Andy's <laughs> mum has like a ponytail that's mm-hmm. tied back. And they also hadn't figured out how to do water droplets yet. Oh, okay. Which is why when Woody like puts his head in a bowl of cereal when Sid has been burning his head, you don't see the water splash. Oh, okay. Isn't that a fun fact? Well, I mean... the. The reason that Toy Story exists as Toy Story is because they couldn't get people to look right. Because <laughs> because they, they all looked really plasticky and fake and they looked like toys. Mm. So they're like, well, why don't we just make our first movie about toys and therefore they'll look perfectly fine. And they did. And they crushed it. Yeah. Because like, regardless of where we decide in, at the end of this discussion whether or not these are like good works by feminist standards, just... In terms of like good cinema, like I really like these movies. They're great films. They are so the stories are so well told. They're really well acted. They look incredible. Like not just mm. for the time, mm-hmm. but like you know some of the animation hasn't aged particularly well. But like back in the nineties, yeah, incredible. Yeah, and like I loved these movies as a kid, and I still went back and watched them this last week and I was like I really like these as an adult as well so let's let's dive into it let's start with Toy Story 1 because that is the one that came out first you don't say I know it's shocking I right? mean they didn't pull the Star Wars no it wasn't. I was gonna say like who would have later versions of something come out first oh there's a whole franchise that, dedicated that's, to that's that that's their whole shtick it is 
So I think when I conceptualize Toy Story on the whole in terms of where it fits into like feminist discussion, I think that probably the biggest talking point is about like gendered play and the gendering mm. of toys. Um, because like we have a a young boy who is the owner of these toys and you look at especially in Toy Story One, you look at all the toys that he owns and the majority of them are what you'd consider to be in inverted commas boys' toys. Mm-hmm. And then you see like Sid's sister has like a doll and she plays uh, like has a tea party with her toys and it, mm-hmm. it feels very, very gendered the way that the way that boys play in and the way that girls play contrasted. Yeah. I think that's one of the um one of the biggest things that stands out to me as a feminist talking point in these films. It, it there there does seem to be like a very definitive line between the two. Like the only quote unquote female toy that Andy owns is Bo Peep. Mm. And and even then, she, I think she actually belongs to his sister and Probably. he's kind of like corralled her into... Because he needs a damsel in distress for mm. his, his playtime. Yeah. Whereas all of the other toys that he has are, are male or male presenting or... Yeah, they're yeah. very kind of like stereotypical, this is what a boy should have. He needs to have a cowboy or a space ranger yeah. or anything like that. And, yeah, and girls yeah. have dollies so that they can mother them and yeah. prepare themselves for a life of homemaking. <laughs> and like I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing that that's the way that it's depicted because it is it's accurate. Like especially yeah. for the 90s like it would have been a very accurate depiction of um the way that boys and girls were conditioned to to play mm. um and how those gender norms start at a really young age like even if it's not critiqued, it's not. Um, I guess it is reinforcing the stereotype, but only so in so much as it's just reflecting the status quo in that regard. Mm. I mean, to to jump in on that, back in the nineties, um, there was an episode of Friends where Ross's son has a Barbie, and Ross spends the entire episode trying to get him to play with a GI Joe, wow. and that's like around the same time Ross that. Is trash. Gosh, yeah, he's not he's not the best. Guys, look out <laughs> um folks, look out for our um friends episode coming up in a slightly new format because mm-hmm. we we got a lot to discuss. We got a lot to there. say. But it came out around the same time as Toy Story just kind of like reinforces that that's the way that people yeah. viewed boy girl playtime. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I think, you know, it begs the question, like, obviously Toy Story doesn't dive into this in its critique or the way that things are presented, but it does make you think, like, why is it that, that boys get to play with, like, cowboys and space rangers and very and dinosaurs, like, exciting and adventurous characters? Like, why are these their playthings? And then the girls have these, like, mild-mannered Barbies yeah. that, that, like clothes and shoes (laughs) not that there's anything wrong with liking clothes and shoes but yeah you know it just it kind of makes you think about how much um gender norms and gender stereotypes are introduced from such a young age speaking of the gender stereotypes i feel like a lot of the female characters or all of the female characters in toy story one there aren't that many no they are all stereotypes oh 100 percent like we have uh bo peep uh who's who like 
I really like Bo Peep, but her entire characterization is that she has the hots for Woody yeah. and is a bit sassy. Yeah. And and she's just kind of like peripheral and kind of stays on the sidelines hoping that Woody gets home safely, mm. whereas all the other toys take a more active role in the story. Mm. She's just there as, as a love interest. Yeah. And then you have Andy's mum, who is... I mean, like, all the human characters are periphery in some way, yeah. but Andy's mum is still very much a generic maternal figure. Yeah, exactly. Like, she's a single mum, she's looking after her kids, she's doing a great job. Yeah, really she is. Great. She handles a, a whole move, and, like, Dance is, like, right. an expert at, at handling all the, the situations that come up with that, because yes. moving is a trash fire. <laughs> it, it, don't do it, if you can't. <laughs> Stop bringing your baggage to the podcast, I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't help it. Um, Ellis Dolan. Hates moving. Hates moving. Um, and then you have uh, Hannah and Molly, who are the, the sisters of Sid and Andy, respectively. And they are kind of like periphery, yeah. generic little sister yeah. characters. They don't have a lot going for them. Yeah. We just don't see a lot of them or enough of them to know anything definitive about them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you look at, you compare that to all of the... I guess male characters, it's weird when you're talking about it in terms of toys, but like the the male present, masculine presenting and also characters that use like he, him yeah. pronouns. Um, all of those toys have so much more of a personality. Mm. And um, like obviously Buzz and Woody are the ones that are the most fleshed out. But even like Mr. Potato Head and Slinky and Rex. the dinosaur. Oh my God, Rex is my favorite. And um, Ham yeah. all have far more distinctive personalities and characteristics. It doesn't take a lot to make your character stand out and be unique. But when you kind of fall into the, the, the trappings of a stereotypical love interest, for example, they just don't come off as terribly interesting mm-hmm. or well-developed. So interesting story about the Bo Peep character. It's bold of me to say that the story I'm about to say will be interesting. But, <laughs> um, a, a personal anecdote about that character. So I loved Toy Story as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I went to see Toy Story on Ice when I reckon I was about four or five. Like I don't even know if the like Disney on Ice is still a thing, but it was like really big when I was it's a kid. It's definitely not a thing no, yeah. because isolation is still a thing. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that's something that has been brought into the next millennium. But oh, yeah. it is? Yeah, I, I remember going uh, in my late teens or like early 20s, my whole family was just like, let's go to Disney on Ice. And oh, be, cute. And it was like a delightful display, but we were just slightly too old to appreciate right, it right, in the right, same right. way. But it's still a thing, yeah. But I think that I probably just am no longer in the target demographic, so I have yeah. no... Like, I don't have children, and I'm not a child. So I don't <laughs> think that I would get, like, the Facebook-targeted ads about yeah. Disney on Ice. Oh, you will know that Although we said it, Disney on Ice Now that my phone has times, heard me yeah. say it, probably. Um, but, yeah, I went to see Toy Story on Ice when I was a kid, and I reckon... I'm going to say it was about 98, so I would have been about four because I think it was pre-Toy Story 2. Yeah. Um, So I was four in 1998. Yeah, that makes sense. And I went to see Toy Story on Ice, and then afterwards from the merchandise stand, I got a figurine toy of Bo Peep, like Mm -hmm. Bo Peep in the movie, Um, because as a little girl... I was like, oh, I want the female character, and she was the only one. Yeah. And 
that just kind of makes me sad thinking about it because I loved this movie as a kid and the only character that I saw myself reflected in was this one like periphery character whose only defining characteristic is that she has the hots for the male lead. Yeah. And even then, like, she's a white blonde character and me <laughs> mm-hmm. as a tiny white blonde child was like, well, at least the one female character looks like me. Yeah. But... For people who aren't white, they wouldn't have seen themselves reflected in any character. And and again, like the, the fact that we're talking about toys means that like like you, your your characters are like a literal dinosaur and <laughs> a piggy bank who is a pig. Yeah. Uh, and so you know you have all this scope to display any kind of characters that you want, and yet the fact that the only women represented are white and blonde. And conventionally attractive. Yeah. And, you know, you have so much range with your male characters and you have one archetype for the female. Yeah. And that is a shame. And and I think it's even more of a shame when you contrast it with how well-defined and well-written your leads are in Buzz and Woody because mm. Buzz and Woody are incredible characters. Yeah. They are so well-written. The story is so well-written. And when you compare, when you compare it to them, it's like, well... Were you just lazy? Did you just not want to try with this? Or did you just think it wasn't important? Which is, again, another issue in, its, mm. in its, of itself. And it, it makes me think about the fact that um, when you look at a movie, and this isn't just about children's movies, like this is like more broadly, when you look at movies that have men in leading roles, like male lead characters, um, there's nothing... As, I mean, sometimes you know, these movies appeal more to men than women. But um, a lot of the time you will like look at a movie that has male leads and go, oh, yeah, it's for everybody. Like, anyone mm-hmm. can enjoy this. But when you look at movies that have a lot of women in the lead roles, it's like, oh, that's a chick flick. Yeah. That's for girls. Like, mm-hmm. the stories of men can be for anyone and are expected to be for anyone. But when it comes to having women in leading and prominent roles, typically... You go, oh, but that's a that's a girl's movie. Yeah. It's like, no, actually, men should also watch instances of women being the centerpiece of stories mm-hmm. to learn that, you know... Women, women can be the centerpiece of stories. Yeah, and also have agency and yeah. um, have uh, defining characteristics beyond just being a romantic interest of a male character. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm sad for my little girl self i mean toy story 2 is a different kettle of fish and we're gonna dive into that in a second (laughs) but like i'm sad for little girls who watch stuff that is supposedly gender neutral in inverted commas and see it being a man's story yeah and more so it like that's compounded if you are if you belong to other marginalized groups who's um who don't see themselves represented exactly because even though there was one female character, she still looked like me. Yeah. That being said, um, I think that Toy Story has a lot to say about masculinity yes. and a lot of critiques about masculinity. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that um, a lot of the, the praise that we're going to give this, the, the first Toy Story, comes from its critique of toxic mm, masculinity. 100%. So uh, Toy Story is essentially about the the conflict between... Uh, Woody, who is Andy's favorite toy, a cowboy, yep. a kind of like a head honcho, a head honcho uh, reminiscent of kind of like the older era of toys. 
Uh, and then Buzz Lightyear, the new fangled space ranger, the best thing on the market at the minute. Uh, he's a cool toy. He's the cool toy. And and it's about their conflict in in kind of vying for the top position. Yeah. To, to be the main toy that Andy wants to play with. I mean, that that's what Woody wants. I mean, Buzz actually thinks he's... He's a space ranger in Breland. So he, he has, a, like, another personal story. But, you know, the, the Woody's conflict is about um, is about him always being in a position of power and then having that authority challenged for the first time. I also... This is completely sidetracked from what you were talking about, but a big plot hole for me in Toy Story 1 is the fact that Buzz Lightyear doesn't know that he's a toy and he thinks that he's a space ranger, and yet he still freezes every time Andy's there. Why does he freeze in the presence of Andy if not to be perceived as a toy? Maybe it's an instinctive thing that all toys have inherently, even if he doesn't realise it. Good save. <laughs> Good save. So, sorry, I got you sidetracked. So Woody has this kind of personality trait, this like competitive streak about wanting to be alpha almost. Yeah. yeah. And and it kind of like, I mean, he, he goes around saying that he's doing it because it's for like Andy's own good. You know, he wants to be there for Andy when really he wants this top position for himself. No, it's a pride thing. Yeah, yeah. and he doesn't kind of realize that that what Andy wants and what Woody wants might be at odds. And if he was really there to support Andy, he would be accepting that Andy might want to play with somebody else for a bit, even though he still loves Woody mm. just the same. Yeah. And I suppose I think the whole vying for the top dog position, even though that's mostly just on Woody's part, and that um, jealousy of somebody overtaking you as the person with the most significance or importance, mm-hmm. I guess, to me comes across as a really um, a strong trait of that, ha- like reeks of toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this isn't something that I have firsthand experience of. I think that you probably are uh, better posited to talk about this, Ellis. Um, but I guess it's kind of. It's that alpha male thing, right? Mm. The fact that um, if your if your ego and your persona is tied up with your sense of self importance, and this um, it's all tied in with this lovely package of toxic masculinity, mm. that um, that's going to come across in this really vile, vitriolic presentation and this headbutting of two alpha males in inverted yeah. commas. Yeah, like, I, I mean, men are kind of, like, whether directly or or incidentally, kind of encouraged that they have to be the most powerful in the room or the strongest or in, in the highest position of power at any given time. And if you're not, you're nothing. Mm. And that can really express itself in some really negative and harmful and toxic ways. And I think this movie kind of best exemplifies that where anytime Buzz and Woody come into conflict with each other, things get worse. Yeah. And anytime that they actually work together and are there for each other and supportive, they're able to achieve their thing. And both of them get what they want. Mm. And it's 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 such a simple idea that if you work together and you're <laughs> not constantly competing with each other, yeah. you can actually do better and greater things. But, you know the societal definition or stereotypical idea of what a man is comes at odds with that. You have to be the top dog. You have to be the alpha of the group. And all those beta cucks can get out of your way and whatever. I don't know. Yeah, it's very toxic. (laughs) Yeah. 
and egotistical. Yeah. Yeah. And the the thing about the portrayal of this kind of toxic masculinity in Woody's case uh, is the fact that it is actually critiqued. Yes. Because, um, you know, you and I take issue with a lot of portrayals of toxic masculinity where it goes unchecked and, you know, the hero can continue with all of his toxic masculine ways. Um, and in some ways is rewarded yes, for it. Yes, at Greece. <laughs> um, but in this instance, it's actually his character arc that he overcomes it and mm. is okay, you know, befriending Buzz eventually and being like, yo, it's all right if Andy plays with both of us. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's critiqued in the fact that all of the other toys don't like this side of him that comes yeah. out um, and are critical of it. And then he overcomes it so that by the end of the movie, they're friends and that's like the happy ending. So it's, yes. it's critical of toxic masculinity in that way, mm -hmm. which is great. The other way that the film is critical of toxic masculinity is with the, arguably the, the main villain, mm. uh, Sid. The worst. Sid is the worst. He, he tortures and destroys toys, which in a film where the toys are the main character, is kind of worrying for them. Yes. And he kind of exemplifies this idea that, you know, his way to express his creativity, because I think there are arguments arguments to be made that Sid is somewhat of a creative child, hmm. but the prism through which he is focusing that creativity is in destruction. Yeah, and, and violence. And violence, and, and being mean to his sister, and taking her possessions, and ripping them apart. And, yeah. It's a very destructive way as opposed to the constructive way that Andy plays with his toys. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, obviously because Sid is posited as as the villain, this very um, toxic uh, masculinity that he exemplifies is, again, obviously critiqued. Side note, I think it's really clever all of the ways that they find um, things that would be scary for toys... Yeah. Like a child that tortures toys. A yard sale. <laughs> Terrifying. Like, the worst just, thing possible. Um, a birthday party where there are going to be more toys that come in <laughs> and threaten the group dynamic. Like, I find it so... Like, they must have had the best time being like, what are the scariest things that we can think for a toy to feel threatened? There's a move and somebody could get lost. <laughs> like, Do it's... you have your moving buddy? <laughs> it's it's so clever. Um but, yeah, we we see Sid as the villain because he is destructive. Mm. Um, something that I find really interesting in the dialogue that is written for him is the fact that all of the, um, like, the, the words that he uses when he is, um, like, torturing Woody, for example, he's got the magnifying glass on his head and he's, like, burning a hole in... Um, in Woody's forehead. Like, we have ways of making you talk. Yeah, like, it's very much like, it sounds like an old war movie. To me, I go, oh, he must have, like, heard that from some, like, really violent war film that mm -hmm. he watched. And I kind of go, it seems like the really subtle message that they're putting through is that he's been exposed to this media that has been very violent and he has then implemented that in his own life. Like, he's mm -hmm. been exposed to media where um, toxic masculinity is exemplified and 
whether or not that was done in a nuanced way that critiqued it. He's a kid. He doesn't pick up on nuance, so he just exhibits it in his own life. Um, I think that kind of cyclical, generational, the media that you consume is then what you exhibit in your everyday life is Mm. um, an interesting comment that is very subtle, but I don't know. I I drew a lot of inferences from it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think think, the, the, the main comparison... Like, there's a direct comparison that can be made between Sid and Andy Mm. in the way that they treat their toys. And one way is, like, vilified the toxic uh, proto-masculine kind of way. Whereas Andy is very, like, creative and fun and... and Gentle. Gentle with his toys. He takes care of his toys. And that's presented as kind of the way to go. So I I think Toy Story has a lot to critique about masculinity. It doesn't have a lot to say about women. That being said, that's Toy Story 1. Mm-hmm. Toy Story 2, on the other hand, does a lot better in that regard. Does a lot better. We get a female character with a strong personality. What? <laughs> Look out! 1999 was a different year. It was. It was. Um, so, we see in Toy Story 2 the introduction of the character of Jessie. Um... Voiced by Joan Cusack, who I just adore. Brilliantly voiced by Joan Cusack. Oh, like what a character voice. I love her. And I have a few favorite things about Jessie. One, she's bombastic as anything. She literally (laughs) like explodes onto the screen the first time you ever meet her. She's this larger than life personality. And not only is she like a well-defined character who has very specific fears and ambitions and desires... Um, like it's really obvious that she wants to go to this uh, museum in Japan uh, and she doesn't want to be put back in storage and she's got these really fond memories of her owner and like she has abandonment issues yes she's very well developed Um, so not only do we see a very multi-dimensional female character we also see one who is like really gregarious and outgoing and Mm. is not the kind of um, you know shrinking wallflower um stereotype that you would expect of some female characters you know Mm. um like she definitely doesn't you know fit the mold of what a well-behaved woman should be yeah um and she's not a love interest (laughs) at at no point is there any sort of romantic notion between her and woody and they so easily could have and we're kind of we're kind of trained to expect yeah 100 percent. like if this were a rom-com, you know they would have ended up together in some mm-hmm. weird toy romance way. <laughs> but at no point in in the film is there any sort of romantic notion between Woody and Jessie. And that is so refreshing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, Like she is there as a driver of the plot in her own right. Mm-hmm. And she can impact the story significantly in a non-romantic way. And yeah. that's very cool to me. I mean, there's some sort of, like, flirtation between, like, some attraction between her and Buzz, like, at the very end. But it's a footnote. Yeah, it's a footnote. It, it is not a defining feature of her. No. And I would argue it's more defining of Buzz than yeah. it is of her at all. Mm. And, oh, Jessie's so good. She's so good. And it's so great, especially compared with all the characters from the first film and most of the characters that get introduced in the second film. Because uh, the second film also has Mrs. Potato Head. Classic. Uh, who 
is a delight on screen, but is very much a stereotypical wife yeah. matrony figure. Her first line is, I wrote it down because I was like, Oof. <laughs> it's nice to have a big, strong spot. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Around the house. Uh. Because he, like, finds her earring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, every line that she has is sort of like a stereotypical homemaking wife mm-hmm. kind I've of I've packed a lunch for you. Yeah. Good luck on your adventure. Yeah. You, you go off and, and save Woody. We'll stay here and look after Andy kind yeah. of thing. Which is ugh. Yeah. So it's nice to have if you're going to have a stock standard character like that, it's good that that's contrasted with a Jesse. Yes. And and it's it's kind of uh, amazing. Like Jesse is such an impactful part uh, on this film and also the films going forward there's like mm, mm. you could have had characters like this from the very beginning from Toy Story 1 yeah. and just uh, like you know how to do it come yeah. on Pixar <laughs> <laughs> the other character uh, the other female character who gets introduced is uh, Barbie yes they uh, so apparently they wanted Barbie for the first film because of course if you're going to be talking about toys yeah. you want to get the biggest name in toys and that's yeah. Barbie uh, and and was it Mattel? Yeah. Mattel said, no, uh, you're not allowed to use Barbie for our film. And then Toy Story 1 was successful. <laughs> and then Mattel was like, do you want to use Barbie in the sequel? Because, like, yeah, just go and put her in. So I read, uh, again, in my IMDb fun fact uh, deep dive, so take this with a grain of salt, um, <laughs> I read that the reason that in Toy Story 1 Mattel were hesitant to... Um, include Barbie as a character was because they were like, no, we want anyone that plays with Barbie to imbue her with whatever personality they see her as. We don't want her to have a personality on screen that is just ascribed to everyone's Barbie because we want everyone to have their own take and use their imagination as to what she is like. Which is a really nice take Which is a really nice notion. Um, But then, you know... Cha-ching, Toy Story yeah. was successful. <laughs> then <laughs> capitalism happened, and Toy Story 1 was successful, and they were like, sod that. <laughs> Here's our character. You have the rights now. Please please put Barbie in a in And also, film. I think Mr. Potato Head is a Mattel character as well, and like sales of him went through the roof. Yeah. So, yeah, they were like, hmm, like, there's a business opportunity here. I think, I think any toy, any real-life toy that appeared in Toy Story had a huge boom in their sales mm. after the film. Like, it just was a thing. Yeah. And, but I think that, I'm not 100% sure if I'm correct on this, but I think that tour guide Barbie didn't exist as a Barbie yet. Mm. I think they created tour guide Barbie so that they had someone to drive them around the toy store. Um, but then after Toy Story 2 came out and it was very successful, Mattel was like, here's tour guide Barbie. <laughs> We're as seen in Toy Story. Her. Exactly. Now, Tour Guide Barbie was an interesting choice, I think. They could have very easily gone with a stereotypical kind of... Bimbo. Bimbo Barbie. Mm. But the Barbie that they chose to to include 
was one who is like quite intelligent and can speak Spanish and is very <laughs> knowledgeable of of what's going on. Like she's she's a really minor character. Yeah. But but she makes an impression so much so that they brought her back for the third film. Yeah. And also, she's voiced by the same woman who voices Ariel in The Little <gasps> Mermaid. Yeah. That's little, very cool. Little fun fact there. Who for is you. that? Jodie Benson. Sick. Jodie Benson did the voice of Ariel and Barbie in the Toy Story franchise. Cute! Yeah. So, so yeah, so even though Barbie doesn't play, like, a huge role in the plot and stuff, she still appears, and I think it was a really clever decision for them to include Barbie in in a way that showcases that she's more than a stereotypical, attractive... Mm ideal of what a woman should look like yeah. kind of thing. She's a professional. She has a job. Yeah. She does this. And even even in the, the later films, which we will discuss in those episodes, like she isn't the stereotypical kind of bimbo Barbie that yeah. you might expect is the easy way to go. Yeah. They, that would have been the easy route for her characterization. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just it's I guess it's just nice to see that they didn't take the easy way out mm. with with all of the characters that they introduced for the second movie. Yeah. I think Barbie is an interesting talking point, just like the toy in mm. general, um, from a feminist perspective. Because obviously there have been so many critiques of um, Barbie as a toy, especially in her figure. Mm. Like the fact that her body is so ridiculously disproportionate <laughs> and her waist is tiny and her legs are that go on forever but are so thin and it's mm. there's no she is I think what people think of when they're like unrealistic standards of feminine beauty and I yeah. think Barbie just kind of epitomizes all of that um, and additionally like she she is typically white she's typically blonde mm-hmm. um, she's sort of the um, she she is what she represents unrealistic feminine beauty standards. Um, But I also have read on the flip side of that, that what Barbie stood for when they created her and the fact that there were all these different Barbies that had different jobs. So like we see tour guide Barbie in the second Toy Story, Mm -hmm. but there's also like, you know, Dr. Barbie, neurosurgeon Barbie. I think I made that one up. Intrepid reporter Barbie. Yeah, firefighter Barbie. Like, um, lawyer Barbie, mm. all these Barbies with different personalities and different um, professions and um, aspirations. Um, allegedly, when Barbie was created, um, whoever it was that made her went, I want little girls to play with this toy and know that they can be whoever they want to be and they mm. can be whatever um, profession they want to be, and we want to see that exemplified in a to- in a toy for girls. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of merit in that. But when, <laughs> but when it's a, a very typically attractive white woman who is ridiculously thin, yeah, like how many girls actually see themselves reflected in that? And I think uh, I, I'm not that intimately acquainted with. Barbie toy lines at the minute, but I think that they have done more to introduce uh, dolls of different races, whether or not they're called Barbie or they're like Barbie's best friend. Mm. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but you also mentioned that there's apparently, uh, they've released a Barbie who is in a wheelchair. I think so, yeah. So it, it seems like there is this ethos of we want anyone to be able to pick up our doll and not only see themselves reflected, but also know that they can be or do 
anything, mm. which I think is an inherently positive ethos. Yeah, and I mean, Barbie started in 1959, and I know oh. that because Barbie's the same age as my mum, <laughs> because my mum's 60th was Barbie-themed well, okay. for that reason. Oh, that's awesome. Because Barbie was also turning 60. Also, other fun fact, Barbie's middle name is Millicent. Really? Yeah, Barbara Millicent someone. Seriously, look it up. <laughs> I share a name with Barbie. What of it? That's awesome. Um, <laughs> we've gotten really sidetracked. Uh, but, yeah, I think that when the brand and the doll started in the 50s, of mm-hmm. course it's going to have with it some antiquated values. And I think that to some degree it's probably trying to catch up with societal expectations nowadays that things need to be inclusive because if they're not then that's bad that's bad (laughs) but also i feel like they're probably towing the line being like how far can we push this until we ostracize our conservative customers because at the end of the day they are a business and you can only trust them as far as you can throw your wallet That was a good mixed metaphor. Thank you. I really liked it. Thank you. Yeah, I guess I think that Barbie's an interesting one because there are some very... It's very easy to critique the doll and the branding um, from a feminist perspective, but also I think that it's done some, some good things. I think what it stood for originally, although, you know, it went about it in a 1950s, 1960s kind of way in that it was, you know, imbued with... Mm. white supremacy and you know (laughs) the fact that um beauty standards were aligned with whiteness um i do think that the idea of giving girls a doll that had you know traditionally masculine professions associated with it was um something to be celebrated seemingly unlimited possibilities and something to aspire to i think is is a noble cause it's almost like things aren't black and white and things can have positive and negative aspects to them from a feminist standpoint yeah we should like make a podcast about that (laughs) where we point out the good and bad things that things do (laughs) by feminist standards and then rate or ruin at the end or something yeah so it is black and white at the end so we actually undermine (laughs) the whole point of it wow yeah Speaking of things that might not have aged as well (laughs) (laughs) understatement understatement here so uh if you were to go on to uh, Disney Plus, which is where this movie is prob- uh, probably the most easily accessible. That's where I watched it. Um, Thank you. Shout out to my boyfriend for letting me steal his Disney Plus account <laughs> to watch this. You can, uh, you'll get to the credits and there'll be bloopers. Like Pixar for a while had a thing where they would do like fake bloopers at the end. And it'd be, it'd be really <laughs> fun. Which is so cute. It's really cute. Like I, I always remember the one in, in A Bug's Life where Flick is about to take off and he goes like to infinity and beyond (laughs) and then everybody like shouts at him for like ruining the take kind of thing it's really cute um there was a gag uh, a blooper that you will not see Mm. in the disney plus version because it was removed following the me too movement wherein uh there's a moment where where they like spin around stinky pete's uh box and in the blooper He's in there talking to a couple of Barbies, saying, "You know what? You know, if you if you want, I can I can probably get you a job in uh, in Toy Story 3. And it is, it's a casting couch gag mm. with the implication that they would do something for him, probably sexual, and he would put them in the next movie. Mm. And they cut that for very good reason. Yeah. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, I remember 
watching that as a kid and laughing at it but not getting it being like oh that's funny how he'd like get them a role in toy story 3 yeah and, and completely missing the like the the nuance about sexual favors like fully going over my head yeah it, it, it's a very seedy joke and and one that in 1999 was deemed appropriate for a movie that was made for children mm. yes pixar have always put in jokes and references or whatever for the adults yeah. in the idea that the kids will want to see the movie so we've got to give something to the adults to keep them yeah. entertained. Like, am I right in thinking that there is a part where um, Jesse does something flirtatious to Buzz and his wings pop up? Yes. It's an erection joke! <laughs> Classic. Which is, like, fine. Mm. Like, it's fine. Like, like, kids aren't going to get it. Kids aren't going to get it. They, they will have... It it works on multiple levels. That kind of thing is fine. What I don't think is fine is this casting no, couch gag no, no, that, no. that is inherently insidious. And really making light of a really foul practice. And a, and a practice that was like widely known and in some ways accepted. Yeah. And, and by including this, kind of condoned? Yeah. And like, like good on you for removing this bit yeah um to kind of update with modern so, standards modern yeah. societal values but also like you deemed this acceptable at the time you kind of have to own that you kind of have to go mm. we messed up we did a bad thing you can't just cut it and sweep it under the rug and pretend that you were okay the entire time like that yeah. is not good when you make a joke about an insidious practice like the fact that casting directors preyed upon usually young women who were trying to get ahead in a very competitive industry mm -hmm. and like um, exploited them sexually in that regard. When you make a joke about something that insidious, it's either going to work in one of two ways. You're either going to make a joke about it, about it critiquing it, in which case, great, good, yes, these things should be critiqued, or to make... It, a joke is going to make light of it and condone it and allow it to go ahead. Yeah. And this falls squarely in category B. Yeah. And again, I think it's great that they have removed this scene from from kind of further publications mm. of this film. But again, they deemed it acceptable in the first place and that's just not not okay. Yeah. And I mean... I think it's probably indicative of the fact that the film was made by a lot of men who yeah. would not have had first-hand... Well, were significantly less likely to have had first-hand experience of being preyed on in that way. And not understand the significance of mm. those actions. Yeah, and right how way. much trauma that causes people. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly... Uh, slight tangent... I remember being a kid, and this, this movie kind of exemplarizes it for me, that when I go back and watch it and I see all the sexual reference or the adult sexual references or the adult references. Mm -hmm. um, I remember specifically being a kid and realizing that when people talked about adult humor, 99% of the time it was jokes about sex. <laughs> and I remember being like so appalled and disgusted by that. I was like, y'all are just laughing about sex all the time when I don't get it like that's so rude like I remember feeling so disillusioned with how immature 
adults were that they thought this was funny. And so... <laughs> and now we're adults. And now we're adults and it's hilarious. That shit's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've become the thing that I once denounced. <laughs> yeah. you, you evolved mm. with, with your age. I don't know. Yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah. I think... And it also I think it just comes down to the fact that there are nuances that... Um, that kids don't have the, the cognitive capacity to, to understand and appreciate mm-hmm. yet. And, and that's okay. And oh, I, I just want to point out, I don't think it's a bad thing that Toy Story includes jokes for adults. I think it's, no. I think it's part of what makes it really successful because it just makes it more accessible to be enjoyed by, yeah. by a wide range of people. The kids get it on one level, the adults can appreciate it on another level. Like, There's no way that children would have a nuanced discussion about the critiques of toxic masculinity <laughs> within Toy Story 1. No. But we as adults are able to have that because it's a well-made film and mm. it's, it's kind of in there. But also kids would watch it and go, oh, Sid's the baddie. I don't mm. want to act like him. Yeah, I want to be like Andy. Exactly. Yeah. I want to be like Andy. I want to take care of a, my toys, and then B, by extension, people I love. Exactly. Like, so, like, put adult jokes or themes in your children's entertainment. Don't make jokes about casting couches no. at the expense of victims. No. E- exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty fair yeah. point, I think. <laughs> um, but also, I think it, like, adds a level of nostalgia to me that I can go back and enjoy a movie that I enjoyed as a kid but love it on a new level or like come to have a, a higher level of appreciation for it because yeah. I understand it on a different level than I did when I was four. And I think that's a mark of, of well-crafted mm. filmmaking. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I'm a big advocate for Disney, the films, maybe not so much the company. Mm. Um, and I think that they are very well-made. I think they're they're very entertaining for children, but also can be enjoyed by adults because they're just they're foundationally well done Mm. and i think pixar kind of took that idea and ran with it because all pretty much all of their films hold up not in a just a nostalgic i remember watching this as a child kind of thing but they're just fundamentally well-made films like toy story one was nominated for an oscar for best screenplay yeah like it's good art (laughs) it's real good art um, Ella, something that we haven't asked, and I think I already know the answer, but I am curious to hear your thoughts anyway. Does either Toy Story 1 or 2 pass the Bechdel test? I don't believe so. Hmm. I think the only opportunity for two female characters with names to interact uh, actually comes in... A montage. Oh, a montage in Toy Story 2 between um, Jesse and Emily. But even then, Jesse can't talk to Emily because she's a toy. And you can't, you shouldn't break the the illusion. (laughs) Uh, But but I'm just thinking Andy's, oh, Andy's mum doesn't even have a name. So that, she's Andy's mum. Apparently she is uh, credited as Mrs. Davis. Does that count as a name? No. Because yeah. you never hear it. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a, a, an opportunity where two no. characters pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. Bo Peep and Jesse never have a conversation, no. for example. I don't think Bo Peep and Mrs. Potato Head ever have a conversation. And even then, it's probably, man, I wish Buzz and Woody got back. Yeah. You know, from their when adventure. will our husbands return from <laughs> war? <laughs> um, 
Standing at the window with a handkerchief kind of thing. Yeah, I think there are instances where, like, female children play with their female, uh, in inverted commas, toys. And um, obviously they can't have interactions, but you would imagine that the connection that the girls have to their toys is still significant. I, I think I think we're reaching for it if yeah, we're getting like, to that, I don't to that think, stage. Yeah. I don't think that it passes the Bechtel test, but I also do think that um, you at least have some sense of a sense of companionship and, and love yeah. between two female characters. Yes. I, like I, mostly Emily and Jessie is I the main I agree with that. One. That montage and that song oh. is heartbreaking. Oh. And one one of the best montages in cinema, I would say. Like it's no, just you know what stunning. I, I I agree with you, but I also think like my favorite part of the movie as a kid and I was obsessed with it. And when I rewatched it, I was like that goes for like 30 seconds. It was so <laughs> long in my head is the bit where the guy comes in and is cleaning Woody. Oh, yeah. That is my favourite part of the film, like the fact that he's got this box that has all these different compartments and it has like a little hat stand for his hat <laughs> and he's got like every doodad and fandangle and oh, I was just obsessed with that mm. sequence as a kid. There's so much gorgeous detail mm. in everything yeah. involved in this film. And also just like the voice acting on the whole mm. is phenomenal. Like Tom Hanks as Woody is iconic. Hanks. I love him. And like as as much as I hate to praise Tim Allen, Tim Allen's <laughs> really good as as Buzz Lightyear. He is. It's just a real shame that he's a Oof. Trump supporter. Oh. Joan Cusack is oh, incredible. Stunning. Uh in, in the second one, uh, Kelsey Grammer as Stinky Pete, he's fantastic. Wayne yeah. Knight as Al of Al's Toy Barn, incredible. <laughs> also, just I feel like Al of Al's toy barn is just another whole critique of toxic masculinity. Oh, Because that yeah. dude is gross <laughs> in so many ways. In... Also, just I love the detail down to the fact that he has a comb over. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, oh, it's so so good. And and again, like I, it's Pixar are really good at what they do. Mm. They write really interesting stories with really complicated characters. It's just. With the exception of Jesse, none of those characters are mm. women. Yeah, and I think in in a world where, where the possibilities are endless, because you're 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 playing with toys. Exactly, exactly. Your toys could be anything. Yeah, and they've decided that. Well, aside from a couple of them, one of whom is a love interest, the mm. other one is the potato's wife. Also, another love interest. Yeah, they're going to be men. Yeah. And I think that's like, just a shame. Why does the dinosaur have to be a male voice? Exactly. Why does the piggy bank have to have a male voice? Why like, does the slinky have to have a male voice? Like these aren't inherently gendered yeah. characters. But they just that's what they wrote and it's mm. a I think it's a shame. Yeah. I mean, I think that all of the actors that portray those characters are incredible. Like I think the voice acting is wonderful all around. Oh, yeah. I Phenomenal. just wish that there were some more women in the mix. Yeah. And Jesse kind of proved that they knew how to write a, yeah. a bombastic, larger-than-life, funny, yeah. engaging character yeah. who is a woman. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. She's she's the best part of the sequel, I think. Mm. She was an, an incredibly welcome addition to the Toy Story Yes, yeah. She's a brilliant character. Yeah. I'm so happy she's there. So wonderful. Ellis, do we rate or ruin Toy Stories 1 and 2? 
I think I'm going to give a different rating to each. Okay, good call, good call. Um, I think even though Toy Story 1 has a lot to critique about toxic masculinity, from a feminist perspective, there's just no real representation of women mm. and the the representat- representation that is there uh, isn't, very is very stereotypical. Yeah. So I think Toy Story 1 is ruined from a feminist perspective. Mm. I th- <laughs> but absolutely <laughs> upheld from an artistic perspective and enjoying oh, yes. a great movie perspective. <laughs> Toy Story 2, on the other hand, you do get Jessie, mm. who is an incredibly wonderful, well-rounded character. I also give it points for tour guide Barbie. I think she's an excellent <laughs> addition to the film. Um, on the whole, though, when you look at at male and female characters, it's still very male-oriented. Yeah. Um, Is Jessie enough to push it from ruined to rated? It, I think it brings it back onto the fence, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get, And also the casting couch gag was in number two. Yeah, that's... I think I'm going to sit firmly on the fence for number two. Yeah. It it does it does a lot more than the first one. Yeah. Um, and I think the fact that... Uh, I mean, we didn't touch on this in the discussion, but the fact that, like, Woody and Buzz don't kind of re- unlearn the lesson they learned from the first one. They both kind of carry through their notion of we need to work together and mm. be positive influences on each other. And, like, they carry that all the way through. Yeah, there's a nice, like positive masculine bond between the two of them a real lovely friendship yeah um but even so does it do enough to say toy story 2 is a feminist work Mm. i don't necessarily think it is no yeah i really love them though they're so good films that they're just all good and i'm really looking forward to when we eventually talk about toy stories 3 and 4 because i think not only are they great films, but I think we'll have a lot of different things to say about them. And I think the female characters develop yeah. across the mm-hmm. um, franchise. Yeah, I think I think they do. I'm really excited for that. I'm I'm just I'm just really glad that we got to sit down and talk about Toy Story. <laughs> I'm glad that I had an excuse to rewatch them. Ah, like any excuse you can take to rewatch them, do it. Do it. It's great. I just just makes me wish I could find my Buzz Lightyear toy mm. and just like play with him and uh. Ellis yes if our pals our listeners want to get in touch and tell us what they think of Toy Stories 1 and 2 from a feminist perspective or just say hi in general Mm -hmm. how can they do that well first you can send us a message on your speaking spell or (laughs) you can go to Facebook where we are Feminism Ruins Everything dash it's a feminist podcast it is or on Instagram we are at Feminism Ruins Everything pod if you also like our work and would like to support us financially maybe consider joining our Patreon we have some wonderful patrons they get some extra content every now and again they get early access to cover art they get some bloopers that we've <laughs> cut out of this episode <laughs> in particular <laughs> um that's uh feminism ruins everything pod on patreon yeah if you especially we'd love to hear from you if you've got things that you want to hear us critique uh because mm-hmm. we've had some really awesome suggestions of stuff that we haven't thought of like greatest showman was something that was suggested to us and we were like hell yeah we want to destroy that um <laughs> So, I wonder if they still listen to us. Uh, now that we have we put them off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we would love to hear from you with your suggestions of what you'd like to hear a feminist critique of. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We will be back with a new episode next Friday. See you later, partners. See you then. Oh, to infinity and, and beyond. Feminism ruins everything. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.